Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Prequelizers, aka Season 6 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, is Mr. Matthew Stogden. Boo boo kitty fuck. <laughs> there we go. Off to, off to a good. I think that's one of your stronger intros. Really? There, Matt. Yeah. yeah. That is. It's, it's a not low good. fucking bar, my friend. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like my 300 one. That was pretty funny. That was good. That was good. And of course, also joining us is Mr. Tim Atom. Mike Witowski. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That was, that was, I must admit, the other thing I was thinking of, but I didn't want to do a voice. <laughs> my, mine, mine definitely would have been Ross. like, Mike Wazowski. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good shout, good shout. Yeah. But I, I appreciate the boo-boo kitty fuck as well. <laughs> well, not really, because while because... I've quoted um, <clears throat> Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which is fine, boo-boo kitty fuck sounds horrifying because boo is the name of the little girl. Mm-hmm. Kitty is what she calls Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And I've made it like Rule 34 mm-hmm. Nightmare. So... Don't make me go into Rule 34 again, Matthew. We, no, we've been right. down that road once before. We're good, we're good. <laughs> and it was, it was one of the more, more traumatising experiences on Sigilizers. Yeah, you, you sound like you were going to die. <laughs> the vomiting noises alone. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, go and listen to the outtakes. For I don't even know what that's from anymore. But Despicable Me 3? Is it Despicable Me 3? Is it, it is. that episode? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. the Despicable Me 3 outtakes on our Patreon. And it is just... That's, that's a thing. It's ridiculous. That's a, thing. that's a spicy meatball. Yeah. <laughs> We're not talking about Despicable Me 3, thankfully, but we are talking about another animated film. We're talking about the prequel to Monsters Inc., Monsters University from 2013. I, I wonder, are we going to experience a bit of a Shrek 2 here where everyone goes, fuck you, this movie is great? So. Before we even get into the film and stuff, mm. I read some reviews. Obviously, I stayed clear of Rotten Tomatoes and that kind of stuff, but I read some reviews. I watched some YouTube reviews. I tend to do that for the films we discuss sure. just to see what's the general kind Gage of consensus, metric. that sure. kind of thing. Some people really like it. Some people fucking hate it. But it does seem to be generally more on the positive side. Maybe that's mm. a clue for our Rotten Tomatoes guesses later on. Mm, maybe. But it seems to be not hated, which is interesting. But I think a lot of people think like, oh, yeah, the first one's such a classic. It just doesn't live up to it. And this is kind of a going from excellent to kind of good, which I think is quite a common thing for these animated sequels. I think that's that's part of it. And it's also it's representative of a kind of decline in Pixar overall. Mm. Um, We're in the Cars, Cars 2... That kind of shit. Yeah, and and a and a slide into, um, and this is this is kind of a, a a point I wanted to bring up of like you have that initial burst of of amazing Pixar creativity where like everything they're making is great, yeah, and then, and I don't I don't necessarily think this is a hundred percent true, but also given that what we have learned about the kind of attitude of Pixar that it is mm. quite insular, uh, sometimes in very, very bad ways. Oh yeah. Correct. Look at John Lasseter, for example. Yeah. But I think that basically there came a point where Pixar kind of a little bit disappeared up its own arse. <laughs> uh and it didn't have enough new voices coming in, which meant that you essentially entered the sad dad period. <laughs> uh, which started with Cars, yeah. 
which yeah. was John Lasseter saying like, oh, I went on a road trip with my family and it was great and we saw America and we saw the, the bits that, oh, these coastal elites miss out on and we should make a film about <laughs> that. Uh, and then you get this, which is deliberately, in a lot of ways, harking back to um, the. It's well, it's you know, it's it's characters who we we're introduced to essentially as being like middle aged. It's hard to pin down exactly how old yeah, Mike, yeah, course, Mike and Sully are meant to be, but but based on the voices, we'll we'll throw John we'll, Goodman does not a young man play. Yes. <laughs> um, well, guess middle age. So it's it's harking back to them in their youth, and it is very consciously evoking stuff like Animal House and Porky's and films of that era. It doesn't just evoke them. It is one of those films. Yes. Like, yes. It completely almost removes... I think that's my biggest problem with this, is that it's, it's barely even a parody. It just retreads all that fucking college movie bullshit from the yeah. 80s, mm. where, oh, look, it's the nerdy guys, and the nerdy guys eventually get along with the jocks because the nerds can be smart, and they do the thing, and they fix the thing, and the jocks go, oh, maybe nerds aren't so bad after all because they've got the smarts, or we got the brain and the broad and the muscle come together and oh, I who mm. fucking cares we've seen this story a million times before 30 fucking years ago you're not doing it you're not like referencing anything that kids give a shit about in 2013 either which is another thing like the people who grew up with Monsters Inc which by the way is me hmm. because I was I was what 11 when the first mm. 12 when the first one came out so it's like this, I don't know the films you're referencing. Again, it's like the Simpsons thing I always bring up of like all my yeah, references yeah. are filtered through the cartoons I grew up with. Like, I don't get any of these references because I don't care. Obviously, I was in my 20s at this point when mm. I saw this. I was like, okay, I see what you're doing. But if there's a five or six year old who was growing up who is then like, what, 15 or 16 later on when the second one comes out, they probably haven't seen <laughs> college movies and stuff from 30 years before they were born. It's, it's, <laughs> weird i think it ties into this whole 80s obsession we've got into in the 2010s where it's like the oh it's 30 years everything comes back around in cycles and everybody loves the 80s again like uh, something should be left in the 80s how about that i think first of all you're entirely entirely correct i'm pretty much going to mirror everything you just said in that <laughs> episode of absolute futility we'll, we'll obviously come back to this as well later but the idea that monsters inc is a fucking fantastic film we can all agree mm, it is a absolutely. really yep. interesting novel unique thing with regards to oh well if kids don't get university films why would they get this because a business is or a, a workplace is like a school and kids understand the archetypes there's nothing to out of the ordinary there however pixar went from here are stories that are relatable. Because at the end of the day, as a writer, you get older, you want to tell a different type of story. So you went from the things that were working, as you say, like to, to Cars, for example. And Cars was the first warning flag. I was in America at the time when Cars came out. I thought, yes. And this was back when there wasn't like as many simultaneous releases. You had a good couple of months lead in like, I'm going to see this before everyone in Britain. This is amazing. I was in 2006 in, in, in Oregon and uh, Cars came out. I thought, wow, that was not good. <laughs> it was fine. I like Paul Newman a lot, so I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't good. Then Ratatouille. And the thing is, I think we talk about, like, even in my review for Monsters University, we talk about the, the slump that um, Pixar was going through and how they were sort of diverting funds, or more accurately, diverting talent to the, the Disney central brand. Mm. The Pixar was reacquired by Disney, and they're like, no, 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 frozen, tangled. These things are, you know, we're not fucking around. We're not making 
I mean, Bolt is fine as a film, but I don't mean Chicken Little anymore. The Disney brand is more important than the Pixar brand. Get the good people here and suddenly get much more interesting. Disney Animation Studios became a thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was the, it has to be, you know, keep it under this, this word, this name. Disney has to be more than Pixar. Because at one point, Pixar was untouchable. Yes, yeah, so a Ratatouille, Wally. But at the same time, it's worth noting that the, if you look at the, like, the, the, the core list of films, as it were, the central cinematic releases, the slump in question is never really that bad. So if I just, if you may, for a second, Cars, disappointing, but not a bad film. Ratatouille, fucking great. Wally, fucking great. Up, fucking great. Toy Story 3, fucking great. So it just goes like, oh, hang on, this is the same thing. We've had one mediocre release. Cars 2, that's a genuinely bad film. Cars 2 is crap, yeah. Yeah. Brave is disappointing. It's not mm. terrible, it's just disappointing. Um, because there's too much chaotic stuff, I think, behind the scenes. Inside Out is genius, massive underrated. Good Dinosaur is just forgettable Meh. as its biggest Meh. crime. Yep. Uh, Finding Dory is unfortunately like Monster University. I will give it to someone later. Cars 3 is the Cars sequel that actually makes sense, but I don't care about Cars. Coco's really good. Incredibles 2 is surprising, okay. Toy Story 4 is great, but unnecessary, etc., etc. So they've never actually had an actual bad period. If you would like to say, where is it? Like with Disney, for example. If you say, oh, here are the films from, you know, the 80s specifically. And you go, here is when we were, they were trying to do something different. And they're not necessarily bad films, but they're different. And they're not ones people have an absolute nostalgia for in the same way as some of the huge hits. But also it depends on what you were introduced to and when. But with Pixar, there's no fallow period there's no period where it goes to to shit as it were it's always good with one or two bad releases but again it's that nature of rinsing through getting new talent on board and i find it interesting that monsters university was ever optioned in the first place because as as jack said a university story has almost no relation or um instant appeal to a kid if you just say it's a school story you think great i go to school and it's a family thing that bonds. Kids remember being, obviously kids are living through it, but adults remember it and it goes back a bit of a sort of nostalgic formative time. University, you have very different, and let's face it, not very family friendly things. You learn about, and, and, and okay, this is the point. I didn't go to university, so I can't comment on this, but that doesn't matter because this is an American university experience. And that's the whole yeah, point as well. it's so different to what we have in the UK. Mm, precisely. But with all their fucking frats and all that kind of shit. It's that just... world is unknown in it. I mean, there's obviously there's people like, well, my university was very similar in Britain. Whatever, there's always examples. But ultimately, it's a very different experience. Um, Tim, you went to uni in the States, didn't you? Uh, yes, I, I did a year over there. Um, yeah. But I, I was at a state school, so it mm. was, they didn't have any fraternities. I don't know if that's universal at a state school, but certainly where mm. I was, they didn't, have, they didn't have any fraternities. And... I wasn't living on campus, which obviously made yeah. a huge difference as well. Um, and that's the thing. I've always assumed the nature is like, well, you have to live on campus. There's no choice. Yeah. I, was like, I assume oh. you live on campus and you're part of a fraternity. That's the rule. <laughs> even, if you get, even if you get stuck with the loser fraternity, but turns yeah. out are all right in the end, you still have <laughs> to be God. part of a fraternity. Well, I think, I think it speaks to how backward-looking Monsters University is, that it assumes oh, yeah. that that is what the... Uh, and obviously it's... It is very deliberately evoking those films set in that period where that is what the university life was assumed to be. Whereas I think if you talk to modern uh, university students in America or college, um, mm. it they would have a very different idea of what 
of what college life is like. And yeah. I think that fraternities are a thing that obviously they still have a lot of institutional power because that's exa- that's basically what they're there for, the, to, to, sure. to accrue institutional power. Um, but they, I think that they they have lost their sheen because of all the controversies that have been involved in them and people are now avail- uh, aware of the kind of people that they attract. Uh, the hazing the, rituals, the hazing and rituals stuff, that's been a big uh, thing the, yeah you know the fact that you know there's very few uh you know there's they don't exactly attract a diverse range of people typically uh, yeah, all yeah. those kind of things and yeah i think i think it it speaks to the era that they are trying to evoke in monsters university that they mm. have this very specific idea of what university life is like that does not it wasn't not even at the time wasn't what everyone experienced precisely um and you know it's 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 through like it's through like these eight different fictional lenses you know it's Mm, it's taking mm. something like your porkies your um animal house which was a a deeply fictionalized version of a very specific type of american university experience yeah and then it's filtering those through the the decades that have passed and the way that those things have constantly been referenced in like we say the simpsons future armor has you know mm. robot house and you know all these uh, various other uh things anything that deals with like american universities basically is slightly indebted to animal house especially Entirely. if it's a comedy of of certain you know kinds mm. and then you get around to this and it's like it's it's looking back at those films while also filtering it through all the the kind of the parodies and the and the extrapolations that have happened in time since, mm. and so it feels just, and it's stupid because we're talking about a film that's all about monsters, but <laughs> like it feels removed from reality in a way that Monsters Inc. never did. You know, yes, yes. Here's the best way I can put it: Monsters University feels like a sitcom that they would watch in the Monsters Inc. world. Yeah, that's I, I would. The sort of Kill Bill, Quentin Tarantino, it's its own yeah. film existing in the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. I, th- I think, as you say, the, the prism or the, 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 the refraction of how these things are remembered incorrectly by people who've been through the experience. Again, the, if, you th- if you break down the core cliche experiences of what university is, both what it actually is and how, let's face it, it's portrayed in media. Mm. The truth is a lot of people did come from uh, either a rural area or a city area, and much like being drafted into an army or something, you are brought together with people who are of a similar age, most of the time at least, who are from diverse backgrounds of all over the, the country, as it were, especially in America. You're like, oh my mm. God, this is crazy. We've got, we, I've traveled across state, in fact, multiple states possibly to get to this place, and there are people from all over who I never would have met because I'm from a small town, where the fuck ever. Um, and that brings in a lot of eye-opening experiences. It makes you see the world in a different way, unless you, you know, fraternize, for lack of a better word, with individuals who are just the exact... That's oh, a they, pun, they... Matt. That's a pun. Nope. <laughs> who um, look and sound like, you know, they look and sound like me. I'll hang out with them, which again is the classic... Ah, the prison mentality. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, and it's also just, just, just racism. It's classic racism. Anyway, so you got that. You've got the second thing, which is um, obviously sexual awakening stuff, which might be in a high school scenario, but it's more prevalent in a, in a, in a university or college mindset. So you've got a lot of fucking going on or people who want to be fucking. You've got the nature well, of... Hopefully not in a monster's Well, this is the thing. thing. So you, you end up with, unless it's like 
an anime universe and that's all it would be about. Mm. <laughs> um, um, but then you've got the idea of like, what else are you doing? Well, you open up your mind to more thoughts because you're being exposed to, this isn't the normal school stuff. This is now an adult education. You are now in theory, obviously all in theory, going to be exposed to greater ideas than you would have, things that will challenge your perspective of the world. Like, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that kind of thing. Just fair enough. And in addition to that, you are under your own supervision for the first time. So you're not under the you know the parental wing, as it were. So you act out. So you feel you do. You make mistakes, which is all part of you know growing up. But also, it means you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to get drunk. Fuck it. I'm going to get high. I'm going to do all these things. All of that shit. All of the quintessential things that make a university life, as well as the actual education, which is vitally important because it's what you know. It's the idea that you come to see the world differently because of what you're absorbing and the people you're around. Almost all of that is lost in this movie because it is inappropriate for hmm. the fact it's a Monsters, Inc. prequel. And if you were to say, and I know there's been some discussion about this and the, the defense was, yeah, well, we didn't really want to do that. Um, so why don't you just set it in high school? And the truth is, it's like Tim was saying about John Lasseter in the Cars film and how it's a personal thing. And sometimes when you have that kind of power and that kind of push in a company, you just say, I just want to make a university film because I wanted to. It's like, right. Okay. And I think it's quite telling that uh, Dan Scanlon, who directed this film, I'm not going to say like bad words against him. I think animation direction is fine. I think it's a very accomplished film visually and stuff. I think it's incredibly fucking flat writing. He also came back recently and directed Onward. Mm. And obviously, Onward had a bit unfortunate nature of being released just as the fucking lockdown was happening. Mm. So, you know. But Onward is that, that also that misremembered. We're going on a road trip with my brother, yeah! And it's like, <laughs> right. And all of the jokes, and this is something about Monster University I fucking hate. All of the, all of the world building is crap. And services only throwaway gags. So I, mean, I know that you have in Monsters, Inc. a lot of things that are like, oh, but they have this, they have that. It's, it's like, oh, well, but like, it's slightly different. Fair enough, that's all thought out. It's quite clever. This one has things that don't make sense. It's, and it's usually a throwaway gag visually, like the giant frisbee lady, for example. Who the fuck is she playing frisbee with? Is it just <laughs> the other giant person? Because again, that feels like racism. <laughs> There's, it's not like the idea of... And, and, and the only people who look the same, for example, because all the monsters are different, which is fine, um, except for the sorority sisters who all look the same. And it feels like it's trying to just do something because it's funny. It's like, oh, look, all the sorority sisters look the same because they're all like about this perfect image of a woman. It's like, yeah, but they're literally the same. And this is a place where all the people look different. I don't understand. Um, and it's very uninventive in the way it's presented visually. It's, it's also, once you dig into it, kind of sexist as hell because that's oh god yeah that's that's less about them all looking the same and more about uh, going back to you know the, the the Pixar animators you know when they were at university that they saw all the sorority girls as looking exactly the same. Uh, yeah, precisely. Yeah, it's 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 just really painful. You know, it is, it's fucking stereotyping. It's mm. painful stereotypes over and over and over. I mean, the th but then things like, even like innocuous stuff, like, oh, it's a monster universe, so, you know, the monsters eat trash. <laughs> so in the cafeteria, they just empty the bin now onto the thing, and they're like, oh, I'll eat that. It's like, well, then why do you have a bin? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, and it sounds like I'm being petty and stupid, and I definitely am, <laughs> but it's the nature of the Pixar sequels and prequels. Sorry. Prequel, singular. Mm -hmm. There's a quick rundown. Toy Story 2 and 3 are fucking great. Mm -hmm. Undeniable genius. 
Yep. Toy Story 4 is a very well-crafted film that I didn't fucking need. At all. Incredibles 2, great film. Not the film I wanted, and not at the time I wanted it. Um, Cars 2 is dog shit. The worst thing that Pixar put out. The plane films don't count, obviously, but they this, you know, jettison those Cin- Cinematic releases. Correct. And Cars 3 is actually quite a pleasing film. It's actually quite well done, except the fact that it's completely irrelevant because nobody cared anymore about Cars. Finding Dory is the same principle with like Monsters University, where it's like, oh yeah, this is, yeah, 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 fine. But yeah, Monsters University, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I don't think I ever needed to revisit that universe. I think it's just great as a standalone. It's mm. genius. It had the beautiful ending, did not need any more. Yeah. We should point out that <laughs> even though no one cares about Cars and it's not... It's not it's not beloved by adults in the same way. Uh kids fucking love the Cars universe, which is why uh, they ended up why there's toys, you know, yeah. three of them. Um because they, they just made a buttload of money for Pixar. Um and you know, they 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 and it's it's kind of a symbol of like you know, we, we talk a big game about like kids aren't gonna be interested in, you know, a university story kind of stuff like that. Yes, I would not have predicted that they would like cars. I suppose whether they whether they like cars the film or they just like the idea of cars that are alive. Uh, and I, and the I'm designs. Yeah, I think that might be it. The, the, think... the toys, the designs. In the same way that to, to me as an eighties kid, and then that's not a good thing by the way. I'm not like oh, I'm not fucking <laughs> ready player one in that yeah. bullshit. But it's like Cars? Yeah, they're alive. Do they turn into robots? <laughs> no. What the fuck would I care about that then? Um, but having said that, I remember as a kid, I had tons of toy cars, and you know the idea that's a very simple design with the when the windshield, the 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 windscreen is is the eyes, and mm. it it's easy. It's a very easy mechanic, and it. But that's the point. It's lazy. Yeah, I think that I think that film could have been about anything. Or, or or had a plot that was anything, and it still would have been popular because like yeah. there's a certain group of kids who like cars. Um, yes, and and it was very much it it was very clean in its the way that Disney likes to um, divide things into this is for boys and this is for girls because it makes it easier no, to market God, it that way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. cars was something very simple where they were like boys like cars. This is a car. This is a film that's literally called Cars. Mm. Look at all these cars. Buy the cars, kids. Kids buy the cars. Um, Which I wouldn't have thought anything Pixar had done up at that point, being only like six films or whatever, mm. was particularly marketed to a boy or a girl. It was literally yeah. just the family film. And I think I think that that is, you know, unfortunately what made it such a toy juggernaut is because yeah. stores and marketing and parents to a large extent are kind of set up f- for that gender divide and the you know yeah like we say like you look at monsters inc you know like kids might want a big sully you know yeah cuddly toy but like that it it doesn't fall neatly into it's a single sale yeah like the closest you'd probably got before that is incredibles which was pre-cars, I want to say. It was the one just before. It was the yeah. one before, um, where you could go like, well, boys like superheroes, and absolutely no girls like superheroes, of course. Mm. Um, but they didn't, I, I don't remember them doing a huge range, I think probably hampered by the fact that there's not a lot of villains in um, The Incredibles that they can kind of pull on. Um, it's it's Once you've got the family and maybe Syndrome, you've basically got all that you can get. 
Yeah, it's very true. Because again, it, it, it's uh, in that case, it's um, Brad Bird trying to create a sort of a world, basically, mm. a world building. Because he's, it's, it's, it's it, what's the cool stuff in there? The plane, the car, the huge robot. It's the mm. stuff, um, not the figures as such, not the individual character. Although the character stories is obviously fantastic from mm. thing point of view. But cars, I mean, it's not like you have to do like a, a Buzz Lightyear style. We have to get a very unique singular toy that has to function in a certain way. It's like, just get some fucking matchbox cars and just slap on a sticker on the front. Job done. It's <laughs> the new cars thing. <laughs> and I think it's interesting that now that Disney has acquired Star Wars and Marvel, which they are very consciously aiming towards, almost to... Like there's a couple of things like the Forces of Destiny dolls where they were like, yeah, let's make it for girls. We we'll make the the boxes of purple and they're dolls, mm. and we haven't really put any more thought into it. Um, yep. Those are the properties that they're like, and now we have the thing that we can sell to boys. Girls get the princesses, and we can keep pumping out prison princess films, and they'll yes. be fine. Boys get Marvel, and they get Star Wars, um, and that has meant that if you look at Pixar now, there's very little. Like, you know, what is the merchandising around Coco? What is the merchandising around Good Dinosaur? You know, it's very limited. You know, it's kind of going yeah, back yeah. even beyond, you know, remember when Toy Story came out and the, you could not get a Buzz Lightyear like doll no, for love yeah. nor money. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of even less than that now. And it's, it's slowly, to, to return to the sad dad hypothesis, you know, they're mm. all just these films... So many of the recent Pixar films are about death. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's what the, in, it's what in the, one way the or another creative team are working through. It's, it's the preoccupation mm. of the creative team, and yeah. it is a very. It's become this very odd. It's almost like Disney's art house studio, except it's occupied purely by one type of person, rather than <laughs> like them seeking out these very you know these interesting ideas from a, a really kind of. Uh, mm. all over the, the the world and all different types of people. I think transcending the, the kind of gender barriers is something Pixar has always been brilliant at doing. And in addition to that, they also make films that work for young kids, teenagers and adults as mm. well. Of course. And I think that's really difficult for some animated kind of things. They tend to really aim it towards kids and, you've, you know, adults can find it patronizing or teenagers like, I don't want to watch kids films anymore. I'm cool. I'm a teen. I'm an adult now. Yeah. The majority do that. And then Pixar is just like, uh, you're telling me you don't want to watch Up? Because <laughs> Up is a fucking masterpiece. So tough. It's like, oh, well, okay, yeah. Mm. And they made it this thing of like, like we said before, they were on that such a good run before they got to Cars and everything else. <laughs> Whereas like, they made films that worked for anyone of any gender, any age, and it just kind of brought everyone. You would get whole families like, oh, granddad can't wait to see the new Toy Story 3. And then, oh, yeah, you know, the the father in the family grew up watching Toy Story and his kids are now watching their, their version of Toy Story mm. 1 is Toy Story 3 and all this kind of stuff. And it's done an amazing job of kind of uniting whole families and age groups and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and then we talk about this, like Monster University is like, oh, it's a college movie. It's like, okay, I haven't, you either have no point of reference for this or you do have a very specific point of reference to this, but you've seen it done better in, as Tim mentioned, Animal House and all the other fucking movies. So it's like, well, you've just shot yourself in the foot of making this not uh, interesting film for a bunch of your audience, which you've grown over the last... 15 years at this point like 
you've done an amazing job of building up reputation and building up this brilliant kind of yeah transcending genders and age groups and all this kind of stuff and it's like eh, let's just let's just churn out stuff and you said like oh it's you start to see that they're made by people who have very specific ages themselves and are going through very specific things and you get into the sad dad era and you're like oh I get this now. I'm a sad dad myself. <laughs> but if you're not a sad dad, it doesn't quite resonate in the same kind of way. To, to play devil's advocate for a second. I am a sad dad. <laughs> there is something to be said about the nature of fiction getting darker as it progresses because of how it was released in the first instance. Now, we talk about... If you take like Marvel, for example, we mentioned the MCU and the Disney films. Marvel is an ongoing story. And for us, it was a chaptered release over multiple, multiple years. And we had to wait. We didn't know what was coming. It was all like, oh my God, what scraps of information could we get? But when we were kids, Star Wars was all out. It was as in the first three films where they were, they were released. You knew what they were. We didn't have the, oh my God, what's going to happen to Han Solo now? Oh my God. Because we didn't have, we just, oh God, I'll just put the next fucking video in. The same could be said for this. Now, if you take Harry Potter, for example. Harry Potter's been, as it was released, was getting darker and darker and darker. Same thing with the films. And the films I'm talking about specifically on the books because I don't give a shit about the books. Um, but the film specifically got dark very quickly because the audience was growing up with the film and the actors were growing up with the film as it went along. So it went from, ooh, a world of wizards. Look out, there's a flying envelope to, I'm going to cut your fucking head off, son. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but that does fail to me how high school life kind of works. Um, <laughs> It's like, oh, this is different. Um, but the point is that you, if you watch it in time of release, as it were, like, okay, how old are you, little little Jimmy? Oh, I'm seven or eight years old. Time to watch your first Harry Potter. Oh, yay! And then two years later, you get the next one. <laughs> not a minute too soon, all right? You're not ready for that yet. <laughs> if, whereas if you just binge them all in a weekend, you're like, wow, that, that escalated quickly because it gets so tense so quickly because obviously the kids are aging, but your audience is aging. Whereas... There is something to be said for Monsters, Inc., released in 2001, and then, uh, let's see, 12 years later, Monsters University. So even if you are a kid when the film was released, you've been through a university experience or something similar at that point in time in your life. You've had that formative thing. And you can say, sure, if your entire audience exists in a microcosm bubble and is only those people at the time, because it's like, well, obviously it needs to age with the audience. It's been 13 years. So you will have, the, the kids who watched that film would have grown up. It's like, yeah, but kids still see this. And the problem happened with Incredibles 2. The difference between uh, 2004, 2018. Oh, so it's 14 years. And there's so many kids saying, should I not see the first Incredibles film? No, no, no. But I need to see this. I, the adult, need to watch this film with my... It's all the older kid. siblings or the parents being like, this is for me. <laughs> there was even memes going around at the time. Like, I have waited 14 years for this. Kids, get out of the way. I'm first in line and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's the thing about Monster University that could almost make sense. It's grown up with the audience. Mm. Except it didn't grow up with the audience. It just played the same stupid shit that we've seen already. It didn't reinvent it. Like, 90s tried to bring back, I think, that sort of, um, the late 90s especially, imagine like Road Trip and things like that, that kind of, fuck is it called? Van Wilder, American mm. Pie, that kind of yep. base level comedy bullshit. Yeah, I don't know what you call that genre the, the the party 90s uh, you American call it we're bullshit. riding high because nothing can go wrong <laughs> 2001 isn't coming everything isn't going to get really bad for these kids real fucking fast um the same thing happened in 2007 2006 so this is all we can release whatever we want 
fucking pirates and transformers. Is there like a huge recession coming? Nah, you're fine. But yeah, if it, you could have done something very interesting and very unique and very novel, but this is again, much like Cars 2, just a really, really lazy, lazy film. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's the fundamental problems with, with the idea that, you know, Monsters University has kind of grown up with its initial audience back from Monsters, Inc. is, A, the, the film doesn't really reflect that. It's not a more mature take on the characters. It's not like a darker true, take. It's true. still exactly the same because it's still got to aim for the, the kids' audience, you know. like they're, they're, We said how Pixar is great at making family films, but, like, they very deliberately target entire families. They're not going to make a film that excludes a bunch of kids because it deals with more mature themes and stuff like that, yeah. because that ultimately loses money for them. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is that they made it a prequel. And so it would be weird to have this, like, even even if they were like, fuck it, we're making a, we're making a Pixar film that is going to be like a PG-13, like, um, you know, and it's, it's going to get into slightly, you know, it's going to maybe reference, you know, like, oh, it's university life, so, you know, we'll have some, I don't know, drug we'll jokes. about sex and drugs. Yeah, and we'll, we'll yeah, have exactly, some sex yeah. and drug jokes in there and stuff like that. And we'll have we'll have Pixar's first ever f- F-bomb dropped by, you know, <laughs> like Randall gets the single fuck in the film. Um, nope, it's going to be Boo. Uh, <laughs> um, boo, boo, kitty boo, boo, fuck. Kitty fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is, is you've made it a prequel, so then it doesn't make thematic sense for... Dark and you know, well, not mm. dark, but like ma- slightly more mature, you know, uh, college times to then flow into this very family friendly film that's supposedly set twenty years after it or whatever. So yeah, it's on on several fundamental levels. It just it wouldn't mm. work to kind of think of it as something that has grown up with the audience, which means which means that it kind of. Because because the people who've grown up with it don't want to... I can't imagine that there are a lot of, you know, for example, 22-year-olds. 20, there's the people who like Pixar and are going to watch any Pixar film, but there's not mm. people who have grown up and matured in their tastes and don't want to watch Pixar who are going to suddenly be brought back by the idea that, oh, yeah, it's a Pixar yeah. film, but it's about, it's about young people. You know, it's about, you know, people in their early 20s, late teens, you know. It's a Pixar film that fucks. It's like, no, <laughs> no, it isn't. This is not what we need in our lives. <laughs> I would say there's some. I, I would say the the more mature, if you were going to say that, what the closest that Pixar has got to a PG thirteen film might be Inside Out, um, mm. just because it deals with because it was really slated when it came out. And I went, yes, <laughs> this is it. We've had Cast Two, which was dog shit. Brave, which was just a mess. It was fine, but it was a mess. Monsters University is bad. Inside Out is my shit. This is great. I love this. It's, it I really teaches, like Inside Out. Yeah, it's great. It teaches kids it's okay to be happy and sad. It's like fucking yes. This is amazing. Um, and then they released Good Dinosaur, and I went, oh, this is flat. Finding Dory. Oh, that's predictable. Cars Three. Okay, that's fine. Coco, yay. <laughs> um, actually, let's let's get into a bit of the nuance here, because we also want the general things about companies and and overall comparisons in the same way, like you know, you compare a. Tori Hanzo sword or something from from Kill Bill or some shit. Um, <laughs> but Monsters University itself. Now, as we said before, I think it's it's fair to say we all really like that movie. I'm still very angry. It didn't win the first animated uh, or best animated feature Oscar because Shrek got it. Fuck that. And Shrek is a movie that 
thinks it fucks. It talks about fucking all the time, <laughs> but it don't. It farts. It doesn't fart. <laughs> yeah. Shrek 1, I still actually think it's a really good film. To be fair, mm. I think it's a really good accomplishment. It's a really good lampooning and lambasting of, uh, of, of the Disney model. Fair enough. Shrek 2 is, is, is the monster it becomes because, you know, it's like, ah, I've dethroned you. It's like, yeah, good luck. Um, it's, it's, it's the story in Beowulf. You become the thing you sought to destroy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You are now the king. Long live the king. You fucking dickhead. Um, but Monsters Inc. is a fantastic movie and it's got so much heart. And, and obviously, yes, I like everything. You go back, you, in your memory, it's like, oh, it was seamless. And you watch some of that animation now and go, ooh, that's a 20 year old film. And Monsters University, yes, okay, the fur technology is much better and these things are better. I mean, fur technology makes me think of fucking cats, unfortunately. Mm. I think a lot of that uniqueness, a lot of the uh, ingenuity and a lot of the personality, gone. Just, just, just dropped out. And it's interesting that Pete Doctor, the director of Monsters Inc., was the guy who directed Inside Out and Up. And the fact that they didn't get him back was a mistake in my eyes. Mm. Yeah. Um, to touch on that briefly, I would like to read a brief little quote from a review, as we sometimes do on this show. From, Please. Please. From, from your boy Leonard Moulton. Ah, Moulton. Good old Moulton. Not... Oh, ever rival Roger Ebert. No, I'm I'm going for a Moulton this time. He states in his uh, review for IndieWire, he praised the animation and art direction, but wrote that he wished, quote, the movie was funnier and wasn't so plot heavy, and that Pixar has raised the bar for animated features so high that when they turn out a film that's merely good instead of great, they are only themselves to blame for causing critics to damn them with faint praise. Yeah. And... There you go. Like mm. it looks great. It's sure whatever. But you've kind of lost yourself a little bit and been like, ah, uh, yeah, sure, it, it's it's fine. But no, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's become a big problem for them to be like. But the, the but the fur looks great. We look at how cool the toys look now because they're based on the new designs of the things. I was like, but the film's not funny. Mm-hmm. These are supposed to be funny films, so. Either I don't get the jokes because I haven't seen Animal House because I'm eight years old, <laughs> or or in my case, twenty two years old mm-hmm. at the time, not now. Um, and or you like this just straight up isn't funny, as we said with like the comparison of the 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 three women who look exactly the same. It's like that's not funny. So I guess you think yeah. that's funny, or at least it's like, oh, it's a satire. Mm, it's clever. It's neither funny or clever. Mm. So you fucking failed. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the definition of fucking up something like this. Is yeah. you either need to make a little clever little reference, so everybody goes, ah, that's a Toy Story reference. Oh, that's referring to Monsters Inc. in like mm. a clever little sneaky way. Not obviously, because that also kind of ruins a lot of movies. And as we've talked about in prequels, that is a cardinal sin of a prequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of being like, hey, look, it's the first one. Remember the first one? Remember Solo? Huh? And Solo. See? You met Chewbacca. See? Remember, See? That, remember See? that better film that you liked more? <laughs> yeah. Remember these more engaging characters and better films and better writing and the, the script you wish this was? It's none of that. But look. They're off in the... De- uh, you said, like, the, your brilliant quote from 300, Tim, is like, the, there's a better film happening right yeah. over there. <laughs> but, but you can't... T- you're with us. You're with us. Come here. Come here. Come yeah. here. This is a bad film. But there's a good film. We promise. It's happening right over there. Go on, you, don't watch it. You're here with us. Stay with us. You're in a convention, and you can't get into Hall H, where all the cool announcements are. So you're in this other hall where they're, like, announcing a new card game. You're like, it's probably going to be great. Maybe it's, like, the new whatever. But also, fuck, I don't want to be here. 
Yeah, it turns out me. you were right. You didn't need to be there. Um, I must admit the other well, the the, the, the extreme cardinal sin of sequels, but definitely prequels, is to unwrite what was written before. Um, so for example, just to to to, to cap off Jack's point about uh, the hey, remember the first one? In my review, I was so fucked off that it ended with they're in the mailroom and oh, the abominable snowman's there. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm. And it's like, well, if you're tampering with the mail, that's the good way to get banished. You're like, right. So, and I don't, I, just, just uh, here we go. I don't give a fuck about how um, Nick Fury lost his eye. I think it was funny. Don't care. Move on. But this guy getting banished because he tampered with the mail, whatever, fine. But the fact that he works in the same room and looks like he's their boss and they don't recognize him when they go <laughs> back later, which I can't be that much later, is absurd but i don't like that at the end of the movie the scream canisters fill really fucking fast with adult <clears throat> screams and nobody starts thinking why are we scaring kids we should yeah. be scaring adults because this is clearly a much more but in the same way that literally the end of the fucking first movie is kids laughter is much more palpable and potent potent i should say than um than scary and which again is a, actually a nice endearing quality it's literally the old that it's literally aesop's fable sort of adage of you catch more flies with honey than you do with salt isn't it vinegar some old yeah. shit like that so yes the the principle being that laughter better than screaming yay build just a sight on something positive fair enough that's great that's a lot of underhand very good scary adults is more viable and much more workable then just release the fucking squid from watchman problem solved <laughs> you will have power forever um and i find it really frustrating because again it unwrites what's in the first one and i gotta say this i fucking hated helen mirren in this film because if you have a dean or a unit principal or whoever it's supposed to be now uh, you either have one or two different things in my opinion one you have what's called over here at least a mannering which is a, a british British comedy always tends to like a person in a position of authority being made to look a bit of a fool. Mm, yes. Um, and all it takes is, is someone who's a very proud person sitting in a chair, falling over and having to get up and their, their glasses are all over the place. And we laugh hysterically at that shit. We find it hilarious because it's it's the only thing we have from a Victorian society. Of, hey, you think you're all that, but you're not, you're yeah. just like us. It's because we have viciously enforced class laws, or not laws, but <laughs> a class yes. structure. And so it's like anything that we can do to like get get one up on the, the upper class who's in charge of us, because uh, you know they they have they, oh, they hold all the power and we'll ah oh, fuck society's fucked, but 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 he fell over and he did a funny thing, <laughs> and that's the thing, it's it's not actually very funny, but it speaks to us as a society. But if you have that position of power, it's like like a uh, police academy or maybe even like the dean in um, Animal House. It's like he's always rude by those pesky kids, and oh he'll never get me. He's not a monster. He's just a bit of an ass, and he's 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 in their way. They want to have fun, and he's mud. yeah, precisely in, in lieu of a parent figure. He is the overbearing, arching figure of like, well, now you should be doing the right thing. Hey, fuck you, man! I want to have fun. Have I'm gonna just hang out with my friends. You're stopping that. Well, you have to do some schoolwork. That kind of shit. Mm -hmm. Except this isn't that character. She's quite malicious, and and like, oh, what's what scares a monster? Turns out an asshole. Mm -hmm. That's what scares monsters, and it's not that she. She verges on a Pixar version of uh, J.K. Simmons' character from Whiplash, 
And <laughs> I'm like, lady, you're running this school awfully. And I don't mean like, oh, you're trying to get the best out of the students. She's genuinely victimizing and terrorizing people. There's like underground things that involve, what are those little purple bits of shit that go on in the school where they have the little, they run that obstacle course that makes them all inflate oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's like incredibly risky, dangerous. And again, maybe that's the statement. It's like, oh, we did all kinds of stuff at my school. Oh yeah, what's that? We once bottled a guy. Whoa, what the <laughs> fuck? We'll make it, you know, cool for the kids. It's like, right. We used to all get drunk and then, uh, yeah, then we'd, then we'd dress up in silly costumes and then we'd, we'd all get on this bus and drive into town and chase the minorities out. <laughs> <laughs> See, if you're going to do actual university stories, it ends up being like Bullingdon Club shit. And it's like, we were burning yeah. 50 pound notes in front of tramps. And it's like, wow, you guys are twats. Even like the jock characters. He doesn't say these are the kids who have money or the monster kids who have money. These are the well-off, the haves and have-nots. These are the intelligent. It just says big and scary, but you have to be able to do a lot of acting, it seems. Different mm. type of scary. And these kids are smart, but you do have to be bold, but you be scary. It's like, what? How is... There's one company, Monsters, Inc. It's one factory, it seems. I don't get it. It was fine in Monsters, Inc., but it's not fine here. They go to university to learn how to work at Monsters, Inc. It's a vocational college. It's yeah. not like they're learning to do all kinds of stuff. It's one fucking thing. Is it like some sort of almost communist-style society where there is a set role in society for you? It is the worker, and therefore you have to train as the worker. And what's your education? The work. There is no learning about other things because you'll never need that in your life, ever. I'm trying to remember if they... If it's ever implied that there's like that there's courses other than learning how to scare people at the university, mm. I feel like there's something. So when he he first gets there, there's like, oh, do you want to join our club? Do you want to uh, whatever groups they've got? You know, the different mm. societies or whatever. Um, and it's trying again do the whole classic lampanu. Hey, we got the people who like collecting this whatever mm. club, and hey, we're in this. But the, but those are those shit. are like social societies. I'm talking about like academic. I mean, they got like a store building. I remember that one. But that all feels like, I don't know. It's, I, again, these questions I didn't have in Monsters, Inc. because I was too engaged with the story and I love what I was watching and it was mm. too fun. Monsters, well, Monst University. Mon Monsters, Inc. makes perfect sense because you just say, like, okay, well, this is how they produce their energy. And, like, that, that, is, a, that yeah. is a part of society that we understand. But you don't get, unless it's, like, literally a, a, a vocational technical college attached to a specific industry, you don't get universities where the only course is power plant maintenance or like, yeah. you know, coal, coal mining. I think the only thing I can think of equivalent is the military. Where yeah. you're like, what's, what's your job here in college? It's almost a military school at this point, isn't it? Like? Yeah, it's military <laughs> recruitment. And I, I'm like, that's odd. Especially considered, I, I think, if memory serves, the Monsters University logo is almost exactly the same as the Monsters University. Um, oh, the Monsters, sorry, Inc. Monsters Inc. Yeah. company. I'm like, that's suspicious maybe it's just corporate training yeah who knows Cor corporate training um, dressed up like traditional new england campus mm. i don't mind they're called monsters so it's like it's called human inc and human university <laughs> like, yeah. are they self-aware that they're monsters at this point like they aren't they're all monsters so is there one university human university that teaches you to work at human mm. incorporated like <laughs> The fuck? What? Are they fourth wall breaking unknowingly? Like, it's a weird 
yeah. It's like the Greendale human being from Community. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or speaking the, of speaking the of deans. Rick um, and Morty. Human music. I like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it ties into the prequel thing of like explaining shit that doesn't need to be explained, mm. which has been the whole problem for us this season and is again another cardinal sin of prequels. It's just mm. like, hey, you wanna know how character A met character B? You wanna know how character A developed into the character you know and love? Not really. Well, we're going to tell you that story over the next two hours. You ever wondered how Mike and Sully met? No. No, because they told us in fucking um, Monsters, Inc. They met in fucking school. Correct. And you have that moment where you're like, you kind of, I I mean, I touched on it in the Wolverine thing. Like, I could have done Weapon X, except they addressed that in the fucking Mm. X-Men movie. X2 already has him getting the adamant. We have, we know how Mike and Sully meet. We know we we don't need an origin story. You know, every fucking character needs an origin story, and often the origin stories aren't particularly interesting because the interesting shit has already happened in the in the yeah. future in the film we've already seen. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's so why annoying. not every superhero film should be an origin story because it yeah. offers Mundo it's a yes. boring thing that's merely an excuse for. Now they have these powers. Now let's tell interesting stories with them. And I must admit, I feel bad for Randall in this whole fucking film. He gets. No wonder he's an asshole later in life. He's got shat on, <laughs> but he he um he wears glasses. And Mike goes, "Yeah, lose the glasses." And he does, and he goes, "Eh, eh, eh," and it's his little evil squint, as it were. He's like, "What?" Because he can't see properly. I mean, I get angry if I lose my glasses. It's very yeah. understandable. Although, yeah. th- th- again, talking about the comedy, for example, I seem to remember there was a cake section. Is that a section? Yeah, there's a scene where there's like party or something, and Randall being, you know, Randall's a dickhead. He's 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 a he's just trying to be a nice guy, get on with people, but whatever. And he brings cakes to people, and someone flies past, and the cakes fry up in the air, or whatever. I can't remember what he's spelled out or something. And the cakes fall on his face to spell out the word lame. And I'm like, oh my god, that's the level of jokes we got in this movie. This is what we're going with now. Oh, it's because they were chasing a pig. They were chasing a pig from whatever tech or the other university was because again there's multiple universities that go to Monsters Inc. Uh, Monsters Inc. sorry and it's like I think we stole their mascot because again classically that's a university thing apparently there are mascots in schools which are living animals and you steal them and I'm like I don't don't get that here's a question though uh, in Monsters Inc. I've been trying to remember this they're banished to the human world and they meet the abominable snowman it's like oh god in Monsters University, they also go to the human world and they're sort of hunted down by the cops, if I remember correctly, who think they're a bear or some shit. Yep. I seem to recall when they go to the human world in Monsters Inc., they're more scared than they are in Monsters University because, again, the nature of prequel, you have to unwrite and forget what you've already done and put the shark back in the box, as it were. It's like, don't, don't, don't worry about that. There's no development. haven't happened yet. It's like, if you'd survived there in the first place, you'd be like, eh. We've been here before. I don't know they go there every time for work, but you know. Well, the whole idea is that that they they think humans are toxic and terrifying. Yes, yeah. yeah, of course. The way it happens in Monsters Inc. because we as the audience have seen that first. Yes. Before, if you're not watching uh, watching it chronologically, shall we say, we watch Monsters University, then Monsters Inc. Um, I always I always wonder about that. The idea of of watching these things correctly, like again, oh, I'm going to watch Star Wars Episode One first and go from there. Or I'm watching The Hobbit first and go from there. And some sort of innocent, how would you view that kind of story? I imagine it actually works much better because you watch and go, eh, Monsters University is fine, I guess. And you watch Monsters and go, this is a really good film. It's like, yes, it is. Well done. 
I mean, it's one of the, we keep talking about fundamental problems of prequels, a mindset in Hollywood that is every film has to, you know, uh, especially of uh, the kind of science fiction, action, fantasy that we often deal with, the, the stakes have to be bigger. The threat has to be larger. And so when you then go into prequels, you're making characters deal with bigger problems. If they've struggled to beat henchman A in film in the first film and then we do a prequel where they struggle to beat henchman b who is like henchman a but he's carrying an axe this time mm. it's like well if they've then beaten him in the prequel why do they then have trouble with him in the original film when they've already beaten mm. Ascaria? it's it's one of the fundamental problems with the x-men timeline is sure. that if the core x-men team your cyclops your gene gray and stuff if their first mission in the field is defeating apocalypse basically a muted god yeah, how exactly. is it that, that 20 years in, down the line they struggle with toad <laughs> <laughs> see the thing is if you mimic real life for example life imitating art and vice versa and all that sort of stuff one could argue it actually does make sense in a way because when you go through actual life obviously you can't comment on this in your 20s 30s or whatever but you don't because you just i can't fucking explain this people you don't know when you're gonna die so you don't <laughs> know when the end is as it were but when you get to your 70s, 80s, whatever it's going to be, however long you live, you do have different struggles and issues. Now, mm. if you took like, the bell curve, the, 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 the challenges you face as a child and the challenges you face as an old person are mostly physical and similar. You're fighting your own body, as it were, and you're just trying to survive without being too dismissive. Whereas when you're getting to teenage years and then into your, like, 40s, 50s, that stuff, you're dealing with societal stuff. And in the 20s, 30s, 40s in the middle, you're trying to just genuinely do something and go somewhere and be someone and all that kind of weird shit. You know, the natural evolution of human life. But at that point, you will get to a stage where you're like, you know, maybe you're like 45 and have a crisis and you go, you know what? All the big stuff has already happened to me. I feel like I've done everything. I feel like I'm, I mean, <laughs> I feel like not, not, there's nothing life can throw at me. And if you do that with a film, like Up, for example, all the big stuff has already happened to him. He's already lost mm. his fucking wife. Um, but then he has a big journey afterwards, and that's fine. You can do that. Mm. Because, again, that film was trying to say something about that point in time, that person's life. Whereas Monsters, Inc., this is the big thing that happened in my life. I mean, it sounds, again, narratively stupid to say this, but Disney always does this. And I've been fascinated by this since I was a child. And they lived happily ever after. That sounds fucking boring. <laughs> if they had everything that all they the interesting stuff has happened yeah they live their life in mediocrity which is the nature of sequel escalation which is the nature of like frozen changing up and saying no no what are you talking about that's crazy you're only like however old you're like 18 whatever it is mm. you 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 met your love you're married tomorrow you fucking crazy that kind of thing you know you can have moments where you sometimes you do peak in high school and that's the biggest thing that ever happened to you sometimes you don't know what's coming because you know maybe you're a 50 year old and your kid does something brilliant and or horrific and it's like oh my god this is the <laughs> big challenge of my life you know you don't know what it is but in a narrative you plan you can do that and what mm. i think i'm trying to get at is for most prequels you need either distance where you can just say we're now doing the prequel for the universe or you do prequels for the character and if it's prequel for the character it has to adhere to the nature of escalation because the audience needs something bigger but it has to be a different kind of escalation because it has to be something that forms who these characters end up being. And I think Monster University 
doesn't fucking do that in the slightest. The best way to do it is that the, the kind of the nature of the challenge that they face has to be fundamentally different. Um, it has to it has to challenge a different aspect of them. So it can feel like an escalation without sure. undermining the threat that they then face later on, you know, uh, the, and, and I think this tries to do that and then it completely undermines it with the whole uh, adult screams stuff because, yeah. because there's, you know, the, 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 the threat that they face in Monsters, Inc. is essentially it's, dealing with an understanding of the human world and it's also fundamentally changing the whole way their world operates because it's based on faulty assumptions essentially yeah monsters university is about kind of finding your place in the world and making friends and the idea that you're not necessarily you don't know everything or you know you're going to have to work in different ways or work with different people like there 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 is significant kind of thematic distance between those two for it to work but it's when it brings it back around to similar problems that they face in the first one that you you mm. start to you start to get that question of like well if they knew that human adult screams were more powerful why did why has that not affected the world and changed what we see in monsters inc you know mm -hmm. especially considering this this university is geared to one thing if it was incidental and like oh well that's not our field of expertise we don't yeah. do, i mean you know, you've discovered something that's uh, going to change the nature of how physics is done. But this is a sports college. We only do sports here. We yeah. don't give a shit. <laughs> that would make sense. But their sole occupation is to train them for this thing. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Or, or, or to, to take that m metaphor further, if Monsters, Inc. was a sports film and then you go back to Monsters University and you discover that, yeah, oh, at one point, you know, Mike Wazowski uncovered this you know ancient or uncovered this mathematical formula that no one else has been able to solve it's like well that's fine because we don't see them engaged in that any of that stuff in yeah. monsters inc because it's but yeah it's it's essentially a vocational college um what do we what do we think about mike and uh sully starting as rivals and and the fact that this kind of shifts focus to mike a lot more than the first film i I don't want to ruin my pitch. I technically like it. Um, I, I think there is something interesting in the nature of conflict. I think there was a mistake made. The mistake wasn't making Mike and Sully adversaries because, again, in the same way you get like object permanence where kids realise when you close your eyes, it doesn't all go away. The mm. world is still there. Equally, a child goes, wait, 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 wait. Was there a time when you weren't my... Well, not obviously when I was my mum and dad because I wasn't born, but was there a time when you didn't know my mum? Oh yeah, like I lived like 25, 30 years before I met your mum. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I had like girlfriends and- What? No! You were born, you waited until you found my mum, you, you made me, and that's your biography. I don't yeah. care about the rest, you didn't have a life. Finding out things about history especially, or people that rock that kind of- th expectation is fantastic and I, I remember tom hanks saying about not to me personally in an interview <laughs> tom hanks he took me to one side and said matt um no one can ever know about friendship but i'll tell you this i said okay tom um because he lets me call him tom because that's his name and he said he was working as a producer on john adams the tv series which i fucking love um with spielberg and and uh, tom hooper there was no Digital fur technology at that point, unfortunately. A lot of weeks. <laughs> That's though. a shame. That's yeah. a shame. So in this interview, Tom Hanks said that 
when he was a kid, he was like told the, the founding fathers hated England. Blah, 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 blah. That's how it was because they all wanted to rise up. Except the fact that John Adams was a lawyer representing the people who were involved in that massacre. Um, and I was like, what, what do you mean? He was defending the English because it was his job. And I was like, what the? And again, he said at the time, if I'd known that, it would have blown my mind as a student. Because she's like, no, no, that can't be right. And again, this expectation, like, these two are like the best of buds. We seem like being the best of friends. It's like, you do realize they weren't always friends. They could have, like, hated each other. That's fine. I'm okay with that. What I don't like is Randall. I don't like that Randall is, because he's quite evil in Monsters, Inc. Mm. He is proper. <laughs> Objectively evil, yeah. 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 He's, he said, he, and to be fair, he is actually, if anything, a corporate genius because that's why Water News obviously wants to work with him because he's like, well, what's more efficient? We just, why are we like just trying to scare them? Why don't we just hook them in a machine, extract the screams? It's more efficient. I'm like, that's horrifying, but also, yeah, that makes sense. If you take that and then show his childhood in this movie where he's just this nice guy who's beaming, hi, I'm a really friendly guy. And then he's trying to get on with everybody and nobody listens to him and he gets worse and worse and worse. It's like, oh, this feels like an like, like Elephant, the Gus Van Sant film. Like, are you are you showing me about a school shooting? Is this where we're going here? I don't know where we're where's this where are we going with this character? It's like, but it unfortunately doesn't focus and he's still the butt of all the jokes. Like the lame cakes I mentioned. Um and I don't mind that to a degree. I just don't think this film was clever enough with it. So mm. yeah, you're right. My, my, uh, Mike and Sully being adverse adversaries. I'm okay with it. Here's a question for you guys. Do you enjoy anything about this movie? The, anima the animation's quite good. Yeah, yeah. I, like some of the, I like some of the monster designs. Yeah, yeah, the designs are quite cool in places. The big purple archway everyone likes. Classic. Yeah. I, have a, I have a cuddly version of him in the living room. Mm -hmm. I say I do. Emma does. But that's the thing I'm trying to say. I, I don't think there's anything that, other than the animation, because let's face it, it's Pixar. They have a lot of talent and a lot of resources. And undeniably, the sound design is very good. The voice acting is very good. Oh, that was going to be like voice acting yeah. is really good as well. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously, you have Billy Crystal, John Goodman, all the people returning, mm. and they're like, Precisely. yeah, they're still really good. They're yeah. still portraying those characters and doing a fantastic job. And you get that kind of, I don't know if there's necessarily like chemistry between animated characters, but you know what I mean. They still yeah, have that kind of, they bring the, the right kind of energy to the performance. But for me, it's, it's the setting and the story that are the main problem for me. Mm where everything else in theory it works the animation and the voice acting and stuff is kind of the the, the heart of an animated film for me mm. but if it doesn't all come together in the right setting with the right story then you can have the best voice actors and the best animators in the world it's just like i just don't care it looks nice but meh it's 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 the tools of finesse being wielded by a neanderthal and they're like mm -hmm. what are you what are you doing you're utterly butchering this you fucking clown yeah i mean i'll i'll be honest i I only saw it for the first time probably about, I think, about eight months ago. Mm. And I was like, I don't need to rewatch that ahead of sequelizers. It's fine. <laughs> and then I started thinking, I was like, what happens in that film? Yep. I thought that as well. And, yeah. and it completely, I, I was like, oh, Christ. And I, had to, and I like realized I hadn't left myself enough time and just had to kind of read through uh, Wikipedia and watch some clips and stuff. The refresher, yeah. Yeah, yeah it left no impact on me, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is not a good sign for a Pixar film. Any film. I mentioned Brave, for example, as a bit of a disappointment. I still remember Brave. Mm. I remember Merida, and she was being really strong, and she wanted to be independent, and the archery stuff, and the bear things and that didn't always make sense. Yeah. And, yeah, I was like, oh, and the stitching the thing. But I remember it. 
as much as I hate Cars 2 and 3, I remember those films. Mm. Monsters University and The Good Dinosaur are the two films that I have difficulty remembering in the Pixar oeuvre. Mm. Finding Dory, I remember the story. Because the emotional yep. connection is really good. There's a, as much as it's disappointing, there's a lot going on there that's really interesting. I'm okay with that. It's kind of like when you have uh, a band or something that you really, really enjoy 20 years coming out of retirement or something and going, oh, this is going to be fantastic. And then you realize that they've changed, you've changed, the songs haven't changed, but they don't hold the same meaning anymore. And you go, oh, no. Mm. And they're like, now we're placing off our new album. And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> and it's all everything you're against politically and socially. And you're like, no, I'm now I'm hating everything that's come before. Now, thankfully, Monsters University doesn't make me hate Monsters, Inc. I still love Monsters, Inc. I think it's mm. fantastic for me. And that's a credit. The thing I enjoy about Monsters University is that I can forget Monsters University. <laughs> 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 it's amnesiac sort of uh, qualities that it imbues with him. He's like, yep, great. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Didn't it didn't quite scar you that much that you no. can't get out of your brain. And I think it's because, as Jack said at the start, it's because I've seen these stories before. It doesn't stand yeah. as original or unique because I've seen it. Whereas Monsters, Inc., although, yes, okay, the quintessential idea of, of, of what was going on, yeah, it could have been told in other different ways in other different animated films. But for me, this particular version, different, standout, love it. Yeah. Of course, before we fix Monsters University, we have to take uh, uh, time out to talk about our sponsor, Stitcher Premium. Uh, you can listen to some of your favourite shows ad-free with Stitcher Premium. Uh, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, a lot more. Um, the price is extremely reasonable, only $4.99 a month or $34.99 per year. I have no idea what that is in British currency. And who knows anymore? I used to know conversion rates roughly, and it's like, pff, I don't know. I mean, I have a rough idea, but Tim Tams. So um, if you want this amazing offer from us, we can help you by giving you a month free. You're very, very welcome. And it is a really good app. It is good for podcast stuff. We've mentioned this in the past before. It's not like it's, you know, a music app that's had this thing bolted on. It is spe uh, specifically catered for podcasts, so it's very, very good in that regard. Um, if you would like this offer from us, you go to stitcher.com slash premium. You could sign up today. Use the promo code sequelizers, S-E-Q-U-E-L-I-S-E-R-S. -E -E As we've said before, we know we're prequelizers at the minute, but sequelizers is still the code. Uh, enjoy a month free on us, and um, and boo boo cutie fuck! Just what our sponsors want to hear at the end of the ad, isn't it? Boo-boo yeah. kitty fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they get. Well, gents, it is time for our classic, our standard, our usual look at the Rotten Tomato scores. Mm. Let's look at them. Um, so, mm. gentlemen, 2001's Monsters, Inc. God, I know you said it was 20 years ago earlier, Matt, but fucking hell. Seriously, man. 20 years ago. Let's all do um, a little moment of weirdness. How old were you in 2001? <laughs> uh, when the when, what, what month did the film come out, I guess? Oh, good question. question. Tim, oh. you know? October. So I was 11 when the uh, Monsters, Inc. came out. Just turned 11. Uh, I would have been 15. Matt, 25. <laughs> and I was 36. Um, <laughs> Benjamin buttoning my way through time. It's just not working out the way I'd planned. Mm. Uh, no, yeah, I was 17. And I, I loved it. It was great. I think I saw it at the cinema. I'm fairly I certain. I did as well. I definitely yeah. saw Toy Story and Bugs Inc. Uh, Bugs Inc. Bugs Life. Bugs Inc. Bugs Inc. Mm. A monster's life. <laughs> um, I must admit, I've I, I've seen every single Pixar movie at the cinema. Wow, 
That's pretty impressive. That is not weird. onward though. There you go. That's the one. And le- unless it gets released in no, the no, cinema, because it was like because I I saw a film. I watched it at the cinema, and then I thought, should I go see onward on Saturday? No, I'll go on Monday. Monday was the twenty third of March. I was like, the country's locking down. Oh, oh no. fuck! <laughs> lockdown day. Yeah, so that was yeah. the one that it broke still the hasn't come out in the UK. I'm, I don't really want to see Onward, and it still hasn't come out yet. Yeah, it's annoying. It's annoying me. I've heard it's Pixar doing D and D, and I'm like, sorry, what? <laughs> I need that in my life. I think Pixar googling what D and D is and going along <laughs> with it. Sure, it's a fantasy setting. Yes, yes, yeah. of course. Sorry, yes, yes. Anyway, right. I think Monsters Inc. is. I know for a fact a bunch of the Pixar's are like in the really high nineties. I think the original Toy Story is like yeah. a ninety eight or ninety nine or something. So. I am going to go for, got to be in the 90s. I will go for 95 for the Monsters, Inc., please. Matthew? Um, I'm, in a, I'm in a complete agreement with Jack. I, I think the first wave was so good and everyone was so ready to suck it the fuck off. Um, that they was like <laughs> that's a direct quote. <laughs> Pixar movies, we're ready to suck them the fuck off. <laughs> they were, they were so everything was like heralded as the best films animated or other ones. Otherwise, it was like this is it. This is this is fantastic. I don't, mm, I don't think it's a hundred percent. No, no, I don't think it's a hundred percent. I think it very probably deserves very few things are. Um, Tampopo is a hundred percent. Fuck you. <laughs> that's that's a reference to a patron it is, yeah. right there. Fuck it, ninety-seven. There you go. Ooh, ooh, okay. Well, I think it's high to, enough. You're gonna have to share the trophy on this one because it's ninety-six <laughs> percent. <laughs> Split the difference, we'll be fine. Yeah, I think it's I think it's more than that. I think it's a ninety-eight. I think I think it's I, again. I I know it's not a percent. We know how this works. Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes is a a score based on critics whether it's, they it's liked it which is more than 50% or, reviews, yeah. or yeah percentage of positive reviews not an aggregated score but that's the point there are people giving it a bad review saying it's a bad film I'm like it's not yeah <laughs> you can say it's not as good it's like 3, you're, 4 out of 5 whatever, yeah. but it's still you, you're much more likely to get 100% on Rotten Tomatoes than you are on an aggregated like score mm. of and that means literally everyone gave it a, 10 out of 10 or 5 out of 5 it's very unlikely but liked it or disliked it I think 100% liked is much easier to get so yeah Yeah. I'm surprised it's not Mm -hmm. 100% but I'm sure some people were moaning about it decades yeah so Mm. now we come to 2013's Monsters University I think it's high I think people liked it from the reviews I read, like I said, I saw quite a few people who actually quite liked it. Yeah. I'm like, sure, it's not for me, but um, it was the YouTuber Jeremy Jans, who's a film critic, uh, reviewer guy. Sure. And he was like, hey, I kind of enjoyed this movie. And it, sure, it's not as good as the first one, but yeah, it's pretty decent. Like, um, no, it's not. Um, so I'm going to go for... I'll go for a 20-point drop. I'll go 75, please. 95 to 75. Like more people like it than they should. I don't trust the public. Again, it's the family fortunes mindset where I'm not actually gauging the film itself. I'm gauging people's reaction to the film, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is always t- difficult. Fuck it. I, I think people might have had enough by that point. I think they were wised up and gone, nah, this isn't right. First of all, my number is 61. However, oh, okay. Okay. I think Jack might be pretty much bang on because <laughs> the people reviewing this film were like, ah, oh, a clean version of university. I remember that. Ugh. 
and they'll have given it some sort of stellar fucking reviews or something. <laughs> University bullshit. for the like Christian right of America. <laughs> Jack, you are closer. Oh, yeah. okay. It's actually eighty percent positive. Fuck. Jesus Christ. Right off in the bin where you belong, Tim. No, I love you, Tim. Um, and interestingly, the the audience scores are pretty close for these. So no. uh, for Monsters Inc., ninety percent audience score. Fuck those okay. People. Yeah, yeah. Monsters University, eighty-one percent audience Fucking score. Fucking hell! A lot higher no, than I thought no. it would be. The audience always let us down, man. Mm. Maybe this is another Shrek two moment. People go, "I love this." Not you, audience. Not you. <laughs> the cinema going audience. Yep. No one goes to the cinema at the minute. And I'm going to throw in a classic Tim Wild Wild. Oh my god! Cat I'm ready. Rogue entry. This is so. This comes between Monsters Inc. and Monsters University. Okay. Chronologically, in terms of release, two thousand and nine, yeah. monsters versus aliens. Oh, oh that fucking hell. film! I think I think an underrated one of the DreamWorks. Mm. Given given some of the uh, obviously they have a really wide range. You've got your How to Train Your Dragons mm. and your Kung Fu Pandas, very good. Yes. You've got your did Mega Mind as well. I think Mega Mind was. Different. I think they might have been so. I can't remember for certain. So, um, but yeah, company. you've got you know you've also got your shark tails and stuff like that, which oh are shark tail, Christ. I think I think this is a higher end one, but mm-hmm. what do you guys think? Uh, the critics said in terms of Rotten Tomato scores. Hmm. I've never seen it. I know almost nothing about it. I will go for. I want to say something in the 60s. I, I honestly have no idea whether it's considered like, oh, yeah, I'm glad, Tim, you said it's underrated, so I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's not like a 90-something. But you didn't say like, oh, it's, it's criminally underrated. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll say 68. Just a number I, I pulled mm-hmm. out of my ass. Sure, sure. I, I, I think um, from what I remember when it was released at the time, it was like, oh, this is all right. But people weren't getting behind it because people are stupid. Um, so I think it will do. A, I think it'll, uh, the critics sort of liked it as a, as a change of pace. So seventy five. Matt clinches this one seventy three percent. Ooh, Ooh. Oh, okay. I would say it is less polished, but probably better than Monsters University in in Tim's own personal regard. No, I, I agree entirely. It, it, so it's, it's your second favorite of the monsters exactly <laughs> films. <laughs> I did almost put uh, monsters the. Um, is it? Is it Gareth Edwards did it? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Before he yeah. got Godzilla, yeah. Yeah, how he got Godzilla, basically. That, 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 that was a little too far afield for... Uh... <laughs> this is within the wheelhouse. This makes sense. I like exactly. It. Um, by the way, just for, for uh, purposes of completionism, as it were, uh, Paramount and DreamWorks worked on Megamind. So. Oh, okay. So, enough faffing around. Matthew, what have you brought for the class to look at? <laughs> It's time for your thesis presentation. I've decided to uh, effectively do a crossover with ET, except the frogs don't get let out. The frogs get cut up, and that's oh uh, god, <laughs> Jesus! And the frogs are also the monsters. It's all Mike Wazowski, and it's just all a dream. Enjoy that, kids. Uh, no, no, it's I'm going... real, real weird and dark, real quick. <laughs> Here's the thing: I was saying to Jack earlier that I wrote this pitch a while ago, and uh, I thought, yeah, that still holds up. I like this pitch. But 
about a week ago, I thought of an alternate idea that I liked more. Like, oh. But my alternate pitch, I thought Pixar wouldn't do. Interesting. As much as I'm trying to do something like, oh, no, we'll do this. You can't go crazy radical. You can't say, what's your monster's... A live action prequel. It's live action and it's set in <laughs> space and they land on a planet of monsters. Wait, what? Yeah. And it's also alien. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. I wanted the questions answered of where do these things come from? Because I was curious. And then I realized that's not actually going to sell the kind of way that Pixar want to. Like, would have monsters always visited children? When did they start doing this? What did they do for power before this? And the more prehistoric monster, like their version of discovering electricity is discovering screams, I guess. Yeah, and and that, that's <laughs> fine. And then you start making a thing like, oh, hang on, do I do like a specific culture? Because it talks about you know all the the iterations of things that make us scared are just monsters getting power. The point I'm trying to make was like, do I try and then drill down on a specific society or a specific time period? And I thought, I mean, maybe Pixar would be out of their mind to do that kind of thing. Yeah, fuck it, go for it. We would do something crazy. We made a spy drama out of fucking cars why not um so i just thought no it's not gonna strike the right tone it wouldn't it it would feel weird so i basically went for a very obvious monsters inc prequel i think i wanted to work in the ideas of the transition between the child mindset and the slightly adult mindset about how the world works which is what university usually does for you it it is that bridge between i'm a kid and everything is fine and i eat and all the ice cream, and then I fall over and I'm sick, and my mum makes it all better, and la 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 la. And now I'm an adult and I need to fucking figure things out, and I've got my own schedule I need to keep by myself, and I have to wash my own clothes, and I, I'm also dealing with all these fucking emotions. It's all that shit, right? But rather than making it a school experience for multiple reasons, I wanted to make it a you have a preconceived notion about what this is, and you're wrong, hmm. which also then hopefully will tie into the nature of what you think about this company will eventually be wrong. And, and just sticking with that, that overarching theme of the world isn't what you thought it always would be, basically. And for a kid, that's a relatable thing. Like, oh, I thought I'd go on holiday and it'd be like this. It's not. Oh, and the key way I've done that is with the friendship. But we'll come to that. So Ooh, okay. a lot of this film is literally just Toy Storying. We're bringing back all the people. So it's directed by Pete Doctor. First of all, that's that's paramount Good. support. Thumbs up for you. I am releasing this in 2005. Good. A lot closer. <laughs> Pixar aren't doing anything in 2005, basically. Turn around. Do another one of those, please. Yeah, we wanted it 10 years ago, not yeah, 14 years later or 12 years later. So this one, I'm calling the film Monsters, Inc. First Day. Now, I'm not going to lie. I fucking hate that title. <laughs> so if you guys want to think alternate pictures please 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 because I think Monsters University is fine actually as a title it makes complete fucking sense it sells the film perfectly because you know the branding and you know what it's about so I just went with first day Monsters Induction Day <laughs> Monsters Induction Monsters Induction doesn't that's, that's not too bad actually, no but it's still it's the same thing so yeah so characters Mike's uh, still in the film, Billy Crystal's still playing perfectly, John Goodman's still playing Sully, and again, because these aren't kids, they don't have to have different voices, they're just yep. same age. Uh, Jennifer Tilly's still Celia. Maybe a little controversially, Henry J. Waternoose III um, is returning for one brief scene. Tricky thing is, James Coburn isn't in it because he did. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, we get like Rod Steiger to replace him, but he also did. <laughs> so um, 
yeah, it's it's a it's a problem. So what I've decided to do is what Disney basically do with like things like their video games. I'm going to get someone who sounds a bit like him as a voice actor, not like a huge prominent name, and he'll just do that role. I think that'll be fine. <laughs> um, and I'm introducing a new character of old man Hank Fleckman, played by old man Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> Um, and again, that is me toying with audience expectations, hopefully. Um, but we'll see about that later. Should we get stuck in then? The opening credits illustrate Mike and Sully meeting in primary school. And I don't know what grade. I don't give a fuck. And <laughs> becoming friends through the combined use of a montage and a new Randy Newman song yes. titled When We're All Grown Up. Because when we're all grown, grown up, up, you and yeah. me will be different people. <laughs> the return of Randy Newman to sequelize them. I'm yeah. happy about this. Sequelizer's fave, Randy Newman. <laughs> We're bringing Randy Newman back because he scored the first film. And uh, I don't think he wrote any particular songs though, about monsters doing monster scary <laughs> things. He couldn't make it rhyme. <laughs> Fresh out of high school, young Mike Wazowski and James Sullivan are inducted into the Monsters Inc. Apprentice program. In the opening conversations, Monsters Inc. Le- Apprentice? That works as a title as well. It's pretty good, actually. I don't mind Apprentice, that. Apprentices. Parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> Um, from the opening conversations, we learned that they have shared plans to become the greatest scare team that Monsters, Inc. has ever known. First thing I'm fixing, they don't both want to be scarers. They know how the teams work. Mm-hmm. But there needs to be like someone who does different stuff and there's different skills. Which is the whole point. Yep. Much to their dismay, the initial part of the hiring process is a screening process to assign applicants to appropriate roles. Mike neurotically fears that he will fail and any ideas he can produce will be subpar. But Sully calmly reminds him that the Wazowskis are a rare breed of obsessives, that there will be no detail that will escape him. Mike thanks his buddy for the reassurance, and the tests begin. After the sequence of tests, judging the hopeful monster's capability to work physically, intelligently, etc., with increasing extravagant exercises, the applicants are sent home for the day. Sully and Mike look back over their day and analyse their prospects. Deciding to preemptively celebrate, they stop at a burger joint and fantasise about rising to the lofty heights of working on the scaring floor, with all the fame and success that comes with it. The following day, the results are very publicly announced, and it is revealed that Mike has excelled to the degree that he is being fast-tracked to scare management under trainer Hank Fleckman. Aha, Dick Dick Van Dyke shows up. Yep. Sully is ecstatic for his friend and waits for his own announcement. Much to his disappointment, Sully learns he performed abysmally. Aside from being a great scarer, he was unable to meet the necessary requirements and is assigned to door maintenance. Before being separated, Mike tries to console his friend and says they'll meet up for food later. The two friends have extremely different experiences, with Sully suffering through gruelling manual labour and Mike rewarded for his attention to detail and bold thinking. During one lesson, Fleckman explains the process by which doors are assigned. This leads to Mike pondering out loud why new doors can't be created before there's a child on the other side. Fleckman drills down on this logic, which escalates to Mike proposing an alternate radical method for door creation, but admits it would potentially be quite dangerous. Praised for his ingenuity, Mike attracts the attention of admin clerk trainee Celia, and the two quickly fall for each other. Sully's luck finally changes when his due diligence and hard work is noticed, and he's put in charge of a small team. In passing, Mike and Sully bump into one another, but there is a clear air of awkwardness as Sully is called away to socialise with his new team. The encounter ends amicably, but with a clear forlorn sense of the friendship potentially waning. The following day, Fleckman confidently announces to Mike that he has implemented the risky door construction method and set a team to work on it. Mike is surprised that his offhand remark has garnered such attention from the higher-ups, but Fleckman admits he hasn't told them, feeling the results will speak for themselves. 
Dick Van Dyke, you risky motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke doesn't care about the rules. No. He just wants results, damn it. <laughs> and pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> and to dance on the rooftops. <laughs> we also have a couple of graphic sex scenes in this movie, just so you know. Um, <laughs> Tim, Tim's not the only one who can write them, all right? <laughs> Down in the door maintenance labs, the team assigned to Fleckman's experiment is headed up by Sully. The operation initially goes extremely well, with a custom door frame activating and constructing a door, wooden door from nowhere. Fleckman, looking on from a viewing platform, cheers triumphantly. Things take a turn for the dramatic, however, as the frame housing starts to shake and groan as the door forms, the handle glowing red and the intense energy surging through it. Sully and his team desperately try to contain the device, but it shatters, sending shards of metal and wood chipping through the factory floor. As the broken wreckage ricochets and punctures several active doors, we see fragments pass through into children's bedroom the world over. Fleckman screams for the balcony to shut it down and get the compromised doors secured ASAP. Get some more of the monsters in those funky yellow outfits, I'm assuming. Yes. <laughs> or like containment shit. Yeah. Making his Actually, way no, because no one knows about it. Ah. So no, Tim, sorry. <laughs> Depriving you of that. I shall sulk from now on. Good. Making his way to the factory floor, Fleckman aggressively chastises Sully and his team, accusing them of incompetence and jeopardising a programme devised by one of their finest, Mike Wazowski. Sully, learning that this incredibly dangerous experiment was one of Mike's ideas, is left dejected and hurt by his friend's lack of consideration for workers he must consider beneath him. Later that day, Sully finds Mike in the cafeteria, and the two of them get into a heated row while never actually addressing the problem at hand. Old issues are dra dragged up and reheated, and the two end with some hurtful comments, Sully pushing Mike to the ground. It's not okay to shove, people. The two walk away, and we are treated to a montage of both monsters reflecting on their friendship and the distance now between them, while we get another Randy Newman song, Old Photographs, in parentheses, of Happy Faces, close parentheses. <laughs> photographs of Happy Faces. Those happy faces are now sad. Going times, going places with happy faces. Oh, there we go. He's on it. Christ. He's on it. Celia and Mike are sat in a restaurant. Celia asks what's wrong, but Mike emphatically denies anything is bothering him. Celia corrects him by highlighting that he's been staring at the menu for a solid 10 minutes and that it's upside down. Mike then launches into a rant about Sully, which Celia cuts short when she reveals that her team were told to shred the official notes on Fleckman's experiment. She details how Sully and his team were not only endangered, but unfairly reprimanded when it backfired. Mike suddenly understands why Sully has been so off with him and explains to Celia that he had already noted how dangerous the proposed idea would be. Celia knows this and manages to calm Mike down, but adds that he has to somehow make this right. Before the operation gets underway, Fleckman corners Mike and menacingly explains that the only reason he is there is to make sure nothing goes wrong. He adds that he is planning to ride Mike's coattails to the top and refuses to abandon the new door plan. Sully and his team are brought into the factory floor and see the reconstructed assembly device. Fearing ramifications of fallout, Sully calls up to Fleckman and says he won't endanger his team by working on an unsanctioned idea. Fleckman launches into a rant about progress and puts Sully in his place, stating he is little more than a tool. He demonstrates this by pointing at Mike, saying, he's the brain, you're the hands. We do the thinking, you do the lifting. So get to lifting. Sully looks to his friend and notices Mike trying to subtly wink with great difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> Trusting his friend, Sully starts up the process. 
Isn't that basically like asking a normal person to like subtly cartwheel? <laughs> Your entire body is moving. I think, it's, I think it'd be like Billy Crystal's, like when Billy Crystal, he's going, ah, and he's like part, trying to close part of his eye first. <laughs> <laughs> doing like a Mexican wave of eyelid. Like, and then you get like one of the team would be like, what, what, uh, what's he doing? I think he's trying to wink, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. As with the previous attempt, the frame shakes as the door is being constructed. Mike takes advantage of Fleckman being distracted and pushes him off the railing, sending him into the test area. Jesus Christ, here we go. <laughs> Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the importance of uh, health and safety regulations coming up. Yeah. Yep. Mike then runs to a console and slams his hand on the button. The machine starts to power down, but Fleckman runs to a secondary console and tries to override the test. Sully tells his team to take the frame apart as quickly as possible and runs over to Fleckman. Both monsters shout at each other, Sully exclaiming that they don't know where these doors are leading to, but Fleckman retorts that he doesn't care. The only destination he's concerned with is the corner office on the top floor. Sully, having little choice, overpowers the supervisor and stands over him growling and roaring monstrously, causing Fleckman to cower. In that moment, Sully's team fully deactivate the frame and a slow clapping emanates from off screen. We see that this is coming from Henry Waternoose, the head of Monsters, Inc., who praises Mike for exposing this extremely dangerous and unauthorised operation. Waternoose then commends the maintenance team for their efforts and takes Sully to one side, stating he sees great potential in such an apt scarer. Waternoose then turns his attention to Fleckman and coldly says that the only view he'll have is the barred window of a Monstropolis prison cell. Is that canon, Monstropolis? I don't remember that. Yeah, they power, power Monstropolis. Monst- nice. As the scene winds down, Mike and Sully reconcile and solidify their friendship once more. With an intense sex scene. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, Christ. <laughs> and can consummate their friendship once more. <laughs> and now to make it official, we touch tongues. <laughs> Mike notes that Sully appears to have a promising scare career ahead of him, to which Sully says he appreciates his time with the door team and it has given him a new appreciation for the supportive components behind the high-paid, public-facing positions. The film ends with a very familiar scene as Sully and Mike step onto the scare floor for the first time and take a deep breath of that new position smell. <laughs> the moment is cut short as another scare barges past him hissing, keep it moving newbies, before scuttling off. Oh, I wonder who that might be. Yeah. <laughs> Mike immediately takes a dislike into the rude employee with Sully highlights that Randall is one of the best scarers working. Mike says, correction, was. Things are going to change around here now that Mike and Sully are on the scene. So he laughs heartily and adds, whatever you say, buddy. So what's our first assignment? And the two keep chatting as they get to work. And I'm actually going to add a new thing in there because I haven't written it in. Roz is there as well because they I okay. wanted Roz in the film, but she doesn't really fit because it's like, I'm watching you. That's <laughs> great, but they're apprentices. So it ends. Nice. Randy Newman does another. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think that's a really I really like the idea of exploring the doors a little bit more mm. um, and how they work and where they don't work. Mm. I think it makes so much more sense to have them straight into the scaring stuff than mm. having to set up this university that we've kind of gone over doesn't really work unless it's a vocational college, and which case, yeah, it definitely works. The the kind of the theme that you picked on of like sort of slightly thwarted expectations of a situation and mm. how to kind of uh, keep being friends with a friend when you're perhaps split up a little bit. I think those are all would work well from mm. the, the the Pixar lens uh, of these kind of looking for the emotional moments. Yeah, I think that's more interesting from a university point of view. Because again, if you if you 
if you want to take the thing where like they have this really formative bonding experience with their fraternity at Monsters University, these guys are never going to forget. And then they're never mentioned again in the film, which as I understand it is also a lot of how university life works. Like, Pretty much. Guys, we've yep. gone through so much together, like high school as well. Like, and also, I never want to see you fucks ever again. <laughs> um, um, so I think, the, yeah, the idea of like, we're going to do this. This is how it's going to work out. And the thing is, as an audience, we know it does work out. So we know it's going to be fine. Mm. But we don't know this middle ground where they weren't friends. Like, why, why weren't they working together? Why, what would happen? It occurred to me an hour, an hour before we started recording that have effectively made Starship Troopers meets Flintstones the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh. But I'm fine with it. Because the, I, I the one thing I don't like about my script specifically is that it's quite rudimentary. It's, it's, it, there's no real subplot stuff going on that I can make much more invested. It's very much a down step in terms of escalation from boo in mm -hmm. their world and stuff but i think that's kind of the point it's more of a character study which i think pixar would carry off well mm. yeah i think because boo is such an integral part of the first film it's something we didn't really touch on but i think is so important same she's not in monsters university obviously and that's a that that really we really lose something in the dynamic of the characters there i think focusing it specifically on mike and sully and not having it be like Oh, it's the Mike Wazowski show with all these colourful monsters around him, like they're doing Monsters U. Mm. I think it works a lot better mm. having the focus. Kind of what I did with my solo pitch is yeah, you focus yeah. it on a trio of characters or, you know, whatever yeah. it is, like the, the core characters, and explore that without getting bogged down in all the other bullshit that so many of these prequels do. Like, we need to explain all these different elements of lore. Like, well, no, you don't. And you can just have, like... Flackman there being like a throwaway villain because, you know, he gets locked up and, and you're done kind of thing. I did wonder for a second there, like, if he was going to get, like, thrown through a door and then, like, consumed in an alternate dimension and Mike was basically going to murder him. <laughs> like, wow, this is about to go dark. Like, and then he's arrested. Like, oh, thank God for that. Like, <laughs> you haven't turned Mike Wazowski into a murderer. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think it's... I think you also, to address your subplot thing, I was imagining like Celia and Mike's relationship is kind of bubbling under the... Yeah, I would definitely do something more you there. Because you have maybe a couple more scenes with that and sure. have that kind of bubble underneath and have them understanding each other and, and growing to like each other a bit more. And yeah. maybe like his relationship with Celia is like the rock that is keeping him going when his relationship with Sully isn't as strong as it as he wants it to be. Mm. And when they have a falling out, like you said, Celia helps him kind of come to terms with it of like, well, no, actually this, this and this, and maybe you should talk to Sully about this and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think that would work, have giving her a slightly bigger role maybe and letting her be a, a bigger supporting character to Mike and, and kind of supporting there. Mm. Um, I don't know how you do that with... I guess maybe having more interactions with Sully and his team and getting more more supporting characters in there as well. That would be the thing to bounce back with, yes, yeah. Otherwise, because kind of what I suggest with Sully, you make it the Mike Wazowski show again, and that's kind of what you want to avoid. You kind of yes. want the Mike and Sully dynamic. Yes, yeah, Sully and his team are also going to be a thing of them bonding, and it's the, I think it's the, not classism, but the, 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 the blue-collar, white-collar jobs, and kind of what Monster University tries to say about the jocks and the nerds, except mm. the same that's been said better before. But yeah, it's just the idea of like, hey, you also had this expectation about what it would be like working for the, the premier premium job, but these jobs are also important. So when they do get to be the top scarers or whatever, they appreciate the people because they work their way up. Which again, Monster University does actually do quite well working from the mailroom up. That's, I'll give them that. That's fair. Mm. I think the, the finale stuff, I really like that 
how it comes back around to like Sully being able to scare someone is like crucial to the, the <laughs> finale. Um, He's so scary he can scare another monster. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it needs to be a little bit bigger um, and more, yeah, I, I more stuff kind of going on there just, just in terms of like the visuals rather than just dude gets pushed off a balcony. No, you're right. You're right. It's, um, it's very contained. It needs to be a, yeah. a, 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 a Pixar escalation. I get that. Yeah. And I think mm. there's, there's scope to do that with the idea of like the doors going wrong. Or so I know that kind of harks back to the original the the mm. door chase in Monsters Inc. The door, but, yeah, the door but, chase is, as you say, is 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 a is a great visual experience despite yeah. being quite simple. Yeah, and then darting around all over the world. And things. Yeah, mm. um, but I think you could do you could probably come up with something. There. Yeah, I think so. I Did think you so. have a design in mind for Fleckman, like in terms of like what what he looks like monster? No, I actually I actually didn't. I had a real problem with that. I um specifically didn't want to put anything on there that would describe his person. And his his physical form, like obviously Waternoose mm. being the sort of crab spider beast, brilliant. Mm. Um, because even then, it signals to the kids that in this world of scary monsters, he's an actually scary monster. He looks yeah. quite terrifying. So I think um, Babadook, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just in a top hat and a creepy face. Yeah, for like, I mean, we know that there are monsters with weird abilities because we've got like Randall and his camouflage stuff. Yeah. So you could have him be something that looks quite innocuous. Innocuous, uh, innocuous, uh, and uh, and friendly, and yeah. he's not a premium scarer. You know, he's yeah. a guy behind the scenes coming up with ideas, making sure the 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 trains run on time, so to speak. Yeah, but then give him something that means that that, could, that can then have a, an interesting visual during the mm. uh, the finale. But I'm not I, again. I'm not I, sure what that would be. But you've got. Mm. You've got Pixar animators. I'm sure that they've got some good ideas out there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we talked about the designs. Uh, some of them are quite lazy in terms of things on 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 the um, in Monsters University. Some are actually quite ingenious. Mm. Yeah, I think I think the design of this character is crucial, mm. but we don't know. And the the other thing that you that you kind of that, that is mentioned in the pitch is that you have, um, you have uh Sully's work team who you can have mm. some interesting designs in there and yeah, yeah. like uh, you know him making friends with with a new group of people um and then do you picture is Mike just working with Fleckman or are they are they in a kind of like a think tanky type situation yeah, with his others I, I think it wouldn't be I think he would have like lots of people he would want to meet and socialize and hang out like oh this is your new team and Fleckman would be like nope you come with me because I want you to give me all your ideas so I can, as he says, ride the coattails of success. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a much more kind of like apprentice and... Uh, mentor, yeah. Sith Lord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the rule of two, but monsters. Yeah. I think the idea as well that it's somebody you trust who takes you away from the people who support you, the pillars of your friendship, mm. like your, like, like in this case, Celia and in Sully being the old p- pillar of friendship. And like, if you distance yourself from that by somebody who is trying to manipulate you you will act against your own interests basically it's a thing about politics and society <laughs> and grooming <laughs> and grooming and very much that's that's kind of the thing and, I'm, and uh it's a good point Tim. terrifyingly good point i do like the idea if i'm honest that he's a bit like um kind of like uh johan kraus in um hellboy 2 that you are a <laughs> A gas-based person would be very, very different. Impossible to mark. He'd live in like a suit sort of thing, but I think that would make it very, very interesting that he would be a terrifying... But the suit is like a big cuddly 
round. Yeah, almost like evil Baymax. Baymax kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he is. He's an evil Baymax. Johan there Klaus we go. Plus Baymax. Yeah. Yes. You have you have Fleckman. Because other thing more terrifying than this giant cuddly marshmallowy figure deflating into this thing that turns out to be actually this vapor vaporous thing voiced by fucking Dick Van Dyke. And that 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 makes <clears> sense because you have you then like. He's he's very difficult to contain if he's if he's trying to do stuff, and yeah. so you have to scare him into submission. Yes, that would make sense. Good, we'll go with that. That works nicely. And and Sully is so terrifying that even though he can't act like he can't hurt him, he can't he's, hurt him, he's yeah. just a glad gas. But he's so intimidating that he can. Scare I imagine him anyway. the suit just starts deflating like, <laughs> like a like letting the air out of a balloon kind of comedy style. Yeah, yeah. we can do a lot with that. Him. And you can I have like, that, when, like that when Mike shoves him off the balcony. Yes. Doing. Yeah, no, I think that's that's very interesting. We'll go with that. That's a good shout, team. I like that fix. That's very, very good. Sign, sign me up for that design. Yeah, I like that. Um, cool. Any other things you'd like to fix, change, ask, or piss on? No, I think that's that's pretty much everything. Like My main question was Fleckman's design. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of intrigued. Because I think, as we said, the one of the positive things about Monster University is that it does have really interesting, yes. weird, diverse kind of designs for those monsters. So... Having that come over to mm. Sully's team and, and the other the other like supporting characters and tangential yes. characters and stuff like that would work really well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it, it's so much better than Monster University because it doesn't just play on those tropes. It doesn't mm. do anything. Like I said, sure, you've remade Flintstones, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Goodman. remember enough of the Flintstones movie to give a shit about that film. So I think I've seen it all the way through. I'm not even sure if I have. I think I think oddly enough, like there's more for kids to hang on to here than like even though university essentially is just an evolution of school in a lot of ways. It's so it, in in the ways that make it important and interesting, mm. it's so radically different. Whereas this, you could almost kind of it's it's a bit like if you've got a friend at school and then you get separated into like different you know groups in maths or whatever. Yeah, you know it's changed um, from primary school to high school. Uh, sorry, secondary yeah. school or middle school, high school, whatever it's going to be that you like. But it'll always be this way, right? We'll always be best friends. And you're like, yeah. Basically, you're like super bad. It's like, no, things are going to change, but it'll be all right. Mm. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Mm. And then a Randy Newman song plays. Yeah. And explains it very bluntly. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you guys are okay with that one. It's always a tricky thing to say. Like, Fix a Pixar film. You're like, oh, I do not <laughs> want to step into these shoes. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's a sign that like it is a lesser one in that that they're there's lots, there's lots of ways you can go into Monster University and go like, yeah, there's things that you can tweak here. Whereas for most of their films, they are such perfect units that you kind of, like, what what would you change? You know? Yeah, yeah. And in the same way that going back to them, you're like, don't, don't, don't go back to it, please. And again, with a lot of them, like Toy Stories, you do get things like, oh, thank God, thank God, this is genius. Mm. Um, and again, I've, I've said it before, I said my reviews. Toy Story 4 is a fantastic film. It's so well crafted. It's, it's the music is astounding. Everything's really good about it, except I kind of still wish it didn't exist mm. because it it, it it elevates itself, maybe at the expense of the denouement of the third film. And I'm like, mm. yeah, you bastard. Yeah. yeah, you gave us another ending with the exact same gut punch that didn't really. Anyway, but that's 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 for another day. So. With that, that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Well done on your pitch, Matt. And well Thank done you. for making it not a fucking Animal House remake. 
I'm not gonna lie. At no point would I have ever thought to myself, "Let's make a you know." Actually, the moment of truth. All right, when I heard oh. they were making a a, a sequel, because I thought it was a sequel to Monsters mm-hmm. Inc. called Monsters University, I assumed it was about Boo growing up and going to the monster world to go to university. And I thought it was going to be a hard R and it was going to be really <laughs> fucking Randy. Randy Newman. Um, but no, that's, that's still rule 34 territory. That's not fair. Yeah. So the, not the rule 34 thing, but spinning off of the boo going to school or whatever, like yeah. there was a lot of people who again thought when the sequel was coming out, like, Oh, it's going to be a sequel. It's going to be boo all grown up. And now she's not scared, but she can still maybe she's the only person who can still see the monsters when mm. she's an adult and all this kind of stuff like yeah she's still got that tie mm. to that universe because she's had that interaction maybe she's the bridge who knows yeah she's the bridge between the two worlds and she's like she's like the first ever exchange student from human world to monster world that's exactly cool. these are great exactly yeah that that was a, I, I was reading <laughs> some theories of people coming up with this like that's how you do a sequel Oh, it's a prequel. Fuck. Okay. Um, well, that's far less interesting. I guess we I, just make about Boo's parents meeting and fucking problem solved. <laughs> I, th- I think I mentioned this during our Monsters episode uh, in our bonus content um, mm. uh, thing that uh, someone I saw of the, uh, had the idea of having Boo from Monsters, Inc. and um, Lilo from Lilo and Stitch meet up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did mention that. That was good. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I think a, a, a proto boo or something very similar turns up in the background of Toy Story Four. Mm, she does. They yeah. do. They do a lot of those little tiny background yeah, yeah. references. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there is a grand unified theory for the Pixar universe, and it's fucking mental. Of course, yeah. it is. it's like cars are like sentient post-apocalyptic beings that rule over the oh, world yeah, after yeah. the humans have died um, or have gone to space in Wally and like round the corner from where Wally sees is actually cars happening yeah. in like post-apocalyptic Earth. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking mad. But cars is also referenced in Brave. So Brave is like post post-apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah, it's when humans where it have... comes back around again, yeah. humans repopulate yeah. and that's post-Wally. So the humans from Wally post it's meant it's fucking yeah. mental. If I find the original post, I will put a link for it in the show notes. I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I do because that thing is fucking mad. But yeah, what else is mad is that you can follow us on social media. Beautiful segue. Twitter.com slash sequelizers. <laughs> We're sequelizers on Instagram. We're sequelizers on Facebook. Whoever's still on Facebook, not many people, maybe your mum. Tell your mum to like us on Facebook because that's, that's what mums do these days, isn't it? Minions, memes, and they'll. they'll They'll come and like us on Facebook. And It'll massive, massive uh, racism. Yes, yes. Institutionalised racism and minions memes go hand in hand on Mark Zuckerberg's baby. <laughs> if you're not on Facebook or anything like that, then, uh, yeah, you can email us, sequelizers at gmail.com if you have longer feedback, if you have any other pitch ideas, any questions you want to ask us for future Q&A episodes, all that kind of stuff, send it through to our email. and. Uh, yeah, if you want to contact me directly, I'm JLW Chambers on pretty much everything. Not don't don't come to me on Facebook. Don't use Facebook. Oh, they say rule thirty four. No, rule rule thirty four dot net. I think it is slash JLW Chambers. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Artists get to work. I'm pretty sure you well, you're a character in Super Happy Kill Time, so that's just a matter of time. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Have you got rule rule thirty four? I haven't Happy looked, time yet? but probably not. Not that big. I yet. know what I'm doing after we finish recording. Having a wank? Yeah, to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of Super Happy Kill Time, Matt, how can people follow you and your exploits on the internet? 
you can go to the various social media platforms and look for Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can alternatively go to theredrighthand.co.uk, read my reviews. I do have a review for Monsters uh, University. Don't know if it's age very well. I don't really care. Um, you can also go to cheesemint.com, see the things I make. Um, you could send us a picture of what you think Fleckman looks like, if you like. I'm sure we'd love to see your, mm, your yes, doodles. Yes, definitely. Yeah, if you have some, some doodles. We do have some artistic listeners out there. And yeah. I know we do. Yeah. Feel free to. That'd be awesome. Um, Tim. Hello. Hey, what up? Um, so you went to university for monsters and learned how to be a scary person. Mm. How can people contact you to find out the best way to... If you'd like to find out how I terrify children... That's uh, it. <laughs> you can follow me on uh, trivia underscore lad on Twitter um, is where I will uh, uh, mostly hang out and uh, share news and link to anything interesting that I've got going on. And uh, yeah, you can also come and hang out with me and Jack and Matt and our <gasps> other lovely listeners on our Discord, uh, which uh, if you go to our Twitter page or our uh, various other places, we have that pinned. Um, it's a nice little community we've got going on there, talking about the show, talking about films and talking about a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, really lovely group of people, very welcoming True. Um, and not at all uh, crazy. <laughs> if you have the fiscal capability because i know it's very very hard for people right now i mean we're all affected obviously so we do we genuinely get it but if you are able to throw some of that dollar down um it is very very helpful for us and for the show obviously um and you can do that on patreon patreon.com forward slash sequelizers and we like to think we give some stuff back to you guys. It's not just a case of, give us your money, you fucking bastards. It's a case of, give us your money, <laughs> you fucking bastards, and we'll give you some lovely things. Um, we <laughs> did, recently did a video um, to sh sort of just showcase some of that stuff. It started as outtakes. It's now gone to, we record entire two hour long episodes as well as stuff. And like mini game shows and shit. All kinds well. of crazy shit. And commentaries when things go back to normal. It's a host of stuff, basically. It's, it's, it's more of the show you hopefully love. Um, as well as uh, discounts on merch and all that cool, lovely stuff. And, and the, up the very high tiers, you get to influence the show itself and, and pick what we, um, what we, what we fix, basically. Um, so yeah, patreon.com slash sequelizers. Feel free to have a look and see if there's anything that takes your fancy. And all the links for all that stuff, Discord, fucking Patreon, everything on there. And, of course, our shop, where you can pick up our lovely T-shirts and posters. You can go to sequelizers.com. All the links are there. You've got all of our potential podcast places. You've got your Spotify links. You've got your RSS feed links, all your social media links. It's the hub for everything sequelizers. But you would even want little weird little descriptions and photos of our faces in case you don't know what we look like. <laughs> There's even about us section on there where you can look at us and learn about what we do outside of sequelizers. So the website sequelizers.com is the place to go for everything sequelizers, funnily enough. True, true. <laughs> and with that, the last thing we need to do is thank our lovely executive producers. Speaking of Patreon, mm. I'd like to say a very much a big thank you to Mr. Jonathan Firth-Clark, golf clap clap, Mr. Mike Salvia, and of course, last but not least, Stuart Main. Thank you very much for your support, guys. We appreciate it. Uh, I hope you appreciate the golf claps. 
When and, did we uh, start that tradition? It was a case of like, what do we do? We just, we just panicked and went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. We're very British. Because at the end of the day, if we'd been clapping properly, it would peak the audio and be like, ah, fuck. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Podcast golf claps, that's what yeah. we need. Genius, love it. So on that note, we will see you next week for some more prequelizers. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Put that thing back where it can also help me.